Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And this week we're talking about the MCU Disney Plus series Hawkeye and the HBO Max series Station Eleven. Yeah, we got some good miniseries to discuss this week. Yeah, that's awesome. So these were both things that I know you liked both of these quite a bit. I am not as far with either one as you are, but I have seen quite a bit of both. So, I mean, Hawkeye is amazing. I, th- I think we both yes. like some MCU stuff. I probably have seen more of the MCU than you, but I think you mm-hmm. started this before I did. So what drew you to watch this one? I was really drawn by Haley Steinfeld. Oh. I just, I like her as an actress a lot. And I mentioned this a little bit when we talked about Shang-Chi, but I like that Disney is a Marvel is branching out a little bit with their point of view characters. So I like that this series follows a young woman character because mm-hmm. I'm always about the female heroes, you know? Yeah. So I was very excited. And yeah, I think one of my friends was watching it and she she was like, have you started it yet? I think you would really like it. So I did. And, and I, yeah, I find it highly enjoyable. Cool. Yeah. So the premise here, this is, like following the events of Avengers Endgame, we find Clint Barton, who is Hawkeye, played by Jeremy Renner, in New York City with his kids, like on a little Christmas vacation, just with them, without their mom, his wife, who's, what is his wife's character name? She's played, Laura. Okay. Yeah, played by Linda Cardellini. And so it's just like a little like dad's weekend in New York City with the kids. And then stuff <laughs> does not go stuff, <laughs> stuff does not go as as he hoped so yeah which the fir- the one of the first things that he does in new york city which i found charming and hilarious was that he sees uh what is it rogers the musical which yeah. is a musical broadway musical adaptation of the avengers and he is not delighted by it <laughs> no no i want <laughs> which is hilarious at one point, yeah. he turns off his hearing aid, so he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't have to have listen to, to it. <laughs> yeah. He was unimpressed. Yeah. But it also kind of parallels, there's the story of Kate Bishop, played by Haley Steinfeld, as you mentioned, and she becomes his protege. Mm-hmm. She is sort of inspired by him. He is her favorite Avenger, and she's shown as being like like a preteen during the events of the first Avengers movie, and is very like taken with his abilities and feels like, you know, oh, he's not, he doesn't have powers. He's just this guy and he's just got these really good talents. So she goes on kind of a a binge of like getting really good at archery and fighting and all these other things. Um, mm-hmm. Sword fighting, she's, she's a good fencer, but especially being a good archer, she wants to be the best archer at her college when she gets older. I thought that was very inspiring. Mm-hmm. So their plots kind of dovetail. I don't I don't know how much we want to reveal about how that this is such a tight little series that I don't know how much we want to yeah. reveal about the whys and hows. Yeah, I mean I think we could just say that they dovetail and they have to sort out some issues together. Mm-hmm. And at first Clint is very reluctant to have her on board and she is very eager and I just really <laughs> got a kick out of that dynamic. Yes. Because he's like a tired dad being like, no, I don't need any help. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, she's like a little bit older than his oldest kid. So it very is a paternal relationship. <laughs> and she is all about like, I want to be your friend. And he's like, we're not friends. We're not partners. We're not anything. Yeah. But I think it's because he's trying to protect her. He does not want her for sure getting roped into this. She's, you know, young and eager and it's just it's very, very dangerous what's going on. Yeah. I think that's part of one of the things that I really like about Kate Bishop's character is you know, she's like eleven or twelve when she decides she wants to be a hero in whatever way that that will come about. So she gets really good at all this stuff and it really shows that she's like a protector character, which is an archetype that I really like. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't really take no for an answer. She's like, no, I'm going to help out. No, I'm going to come with you. No, I'm going to throw myself into danger, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's she's pretty fearless. It gets kind of scary at certain points. I do want to give a shout out to Vera Farmiga mm-hmm. plays her mom, Eleanor Bishop. And Eleanor is kind of like sketchy ish maybe like there's a lot of she's very rich she runs a security firm it's kind of like a little shrouded in some mystery she's engaged to a weirdo that kate does not like and does not trust and but vera farmiga is great at playing both i think gentle heroic characters and also sketchy weird characters like she's got (laughs) these two poles of her kind of acting resume and uh, she looks really different than she does in a lot of her other roles so I thought that was an interesting casting choice. Yeah, I like her a lot. Yeah. I think their storyline is really interesting. And uh, I, I'm excited for you to watch the last episode to see how that yes. wraps up. Yes, I'm excited too. Yeah. Oh, I do also think that Jack Duquesne, who is Eleanor's fiance, played by Tony Dalton. Dalton does a really good job of with his character, who is very <laughs> weird and layered and strange. And like you suspect him of all kinds of things all mm-hmm. throughout and uh, yes. and yet he's also a little bit funny mm-hmm. and I enjoyed that there is a lot of gentle humor in this there's a lot of kind of surprise characters that come up later who are really really funny and because it's all set at Christmas time it does have this air of whimsy about it which I think is fun and strange and I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. and it was really nice to see Clint get to be kind of funnier than I think the movies have allowed his character to be Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's been a lot more stoic. And this is just his chance to be to to really shine, I think. Yeah. And there's there's this kind of running thing about deafness throughout, which I think is really important and really interesting. Mm -hmm. And several characters have some levels of hearing loss, which is actually like accurate to the comics. But they haven't really done that with Clint's character in the movies, Mm -hmm. really at all, uh, which has been a criticism. So to actually reveal that he does have pretty significant hearing loss and relies on a strong hearing aid is, I think, pretty interesting. And that he has at least a little limited sign language capability. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was really good. Yeah. And there's another character who is also deaf, Maya, Mm -hmm. who's played by Alakwa Cox, and she's incredible. I was like, even though you are a villain, I would be on your side. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she's very good. Yeah, and she she does use sign language, and her friend Kazi also uses sign language, but he's often, he's a hearing character, and he often has to interpret for her when other people don't speak sign language. Uh-huh. So I just thought that was a good way to show that, like, sometimes, I don't know how to phrase this, but, 
you know, Clint can get by because he is a hearing aid, mm-hmm. but sometimes there is that language barrier for characters like Maya who need to rely on sign, sign language and a lot of the world doesn't speak it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I really liked her character and I hope she gets featured in other Marvel things. I think she might Ooh. without saying too, too much, Ooh. but yeah. And Alakwa Cox, I want to mention is um, an indigenous woman and she really is deaf in real life. So I think that casting was, was really excellent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, without saying too too much about a lot of things, there's a lot of surprise sort of guest star people that show up. So if you want some little Easter eggs from both other Marvel films and TV series, there are some surprising people that show up toward the end of the series. Yeah. Which was really, really cool. I do want to circle back to Jack for a little bit because mm-hmm. my opinion of his him changed so much throughout the series. And it's only six episodes, so... I think they did a really good job with his characterization and Tony Dalton did a good job portraying him. But I really also like that there are a lot of threads of parenthood and growing up in it because Kate's dad died when she was younger, I think in the original Avengers alien attack or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as she grows up, she learns that he maybe wasn't the best person. Mm -hmm. And then her in the present day, her mom is engaged to this weird dude who likes to collect swords <laughs> and stuff. And he's just trying way too hard to, to like get her to like him. And yes. <laughs> she just refuses <laughs> she, yes. because she's so suspicious of him. And I think that's mm-hmm. why she sort of latches on to Clint a lot more because she doesn't have that father figure. And she's like, oh, my God, here's my hero. Mm. And I think there's stuff going on with Clint and his kids and trying to get home for Christmas mm-hmm. and fulfilling that promise as a, as a dad. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff, there are things that I won't talk about with between Kate and Eleanor that I think are really very interesting for Kate's character. Oh, and uh, Maya has some trauma regarding her father, her father's murder, mm-hmm. and that drive for revenge is what sort of fuels her. Mm-hmm. And she has another father figure who um, I won't name. <laughs> he comes in later on. And I think there's a lot about like parental disappointment and mm-hmm. growing past that. So I thought that was interesting. There's a lot of yes. nuance in a six episode series. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I haven't seen the last episode, I am spoiled for that appearance thing. So I know that and that why that's cool. So yeah. I do want to say also that even though Laura is not really in it too, too much, and she's kind of mostly shown on the phone, which I think was probably a scheduling thing with Linda Cardellini's other series, Dead to Me, that she's on, I still think they gave her more to do than they ever have in the movies. Mm -hmm. Like she was a little bit more fleshed out. And you see the relationship between Clint and Laura as being a lot more equal than I had seen evidence for, let's say. Yeah. There's something in the last episode as well Okay, that fleshes her out a little bit more, too. Okay. That's great. I would love to see her do more. Like, even though this is advertised as a miniseries, I still think there's enough room here to, to do more with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, oh, I have to say two things that I also love. Every episode's end credits, like, several of them have, like, a jarring Christmas song <laughs> all of a sudden. And sometimes that is really funny. Yeah. And also, we have to talk about Pizza Dog. Oh, 
How did I forget about Pizza Dog? <laughs> <laughs> we we neglected to talk about a dog in another series earlier uh, in the winter, so we have to talk about Pizza Dog extensively here. <laughs> yeah, Pizza Dog shows up in the first episode because Kate's doing some dumb heroic stuff and <laughs> ends up having to run away from <laughs> bad guys. Mm-hmm. And this dog, this stray dog with one eye, he's a golden retriever. He he kind of like I think he get he accidentally saves her or distracts someone and then she ends up bringing him home and the only thing she's like college student on winter break and the only thing she has in her fridge or in her freezer is frozen pizza. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So she heats it up and gives it to him, and he just sticks around, and he's so cute. And there are like some really good, really fun scenes where she and Clint are in her aunt's apartment, like doing Christmassy things, like watching Christmas movies and stuff, and pizza dogs around, and it's just like he's so adorable. Mm-hmm. I love him. <laughs> yeah. They try to rename him. They try to give him a legit name at one point, and it doesn't. He doesn't respond to anything <laughs> else except Pizza Dog. So I think he actually does get a new name in the last episode. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but he's pretty cute, and I was very taken with him. <laughs> There's also some cute moments with uh, Hawkeye encountering these larpers in a, in the park, which I won't go into too much. But they were. They also turned yes. me in. There's just a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of whimsy and randomly strange, cute things. But it is like there's a lot of like dynamic fight scenes, and some were making me like go, "Oh no!" Like this mm-hmm. is really scary. But, but you know, very well choreographed, very well executed. And uh, I I noticed one plot point that I was like, "Wait, what?" That the MCU is getting so big, and I haven't seen every single little series and season of every series so there were some things where I was like I can't remember what and so part of me felt with this the only negative was that certain things are getting buried because it's just so big Mm -hmm. and I feel like you have to have seen all of the Avengers movies like the ones that are actually called the Avengers and Black Widow and what else do you think a person should have seen before they watch this probably more than I've seen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do feel every time I watch an MCU thing, I feel like I'm missing a lot of little things yeah, and little callbacks and nods to other shows. Mm-hmm. What else? I mean, in one sense, it's probably an okay place to start because it it's Kate's story. So it introduces a whole new character. Yes. And you could sort of pick up on the things that have gone on in the past. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you will miss you will miss stuff if you watch as few MCU movies as I have. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if somebody watches at least Avengers Endgame and Black Widow, that might be enough. Yes, I would definitely watch Endgame because there was a moment where I detect my friend and be like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was the same thing that I forgot about. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about that off air, but yeah. But I mean, even having seen those, I was still like forgetting little like, oh, why is that important? But but you're right. Like, I think if you go into it feeling like if you follow Kate and just take the journey with her, you can probably yeah be fine. Like it does stand mostly alone. So I think it's okay. I agree. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's so fun. It's a good, you know, 
holiday time thing to watch, even though we're a little bit past the holidays now, we're still kind of in that zone. So if you didn't watch it over Christmas, I think it still holds up. Absolutely. I hope there's a season two. I don't know if there will be, but we'll see. I don't know. But a much less (laughs) lighthearted... miniseries oh my gosh so much less lighthearted. you gotta like bring it down maybe we should have opened with this one to end on a yeah. <laughs> more hopeful yeah you've watched more of this than me and you've read the book which i have not read but mm-hmm. and this is also maybe one of those things of like i can't believe they produced this now you know i think it was in production before the actual pandemic started <laughs> okay but yes oh. station 11 is yeah. on hbo and i think it'll be 10 episodes when everything airs, I think there are maybe eight out right now. Yes. I've watched through seven. Okay. And it's about a pandemic. Surprise. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a little different. It's mm-hmm. a little different. There are there are some glimmers of hopefulness. Mm-hmm. And it's not as much about the pandemic itself right. as it is kind of what that does to society and the people who survive and kind of the the journey into a new kind of society. Yes. So there are really multiple years that they focus on. So one is just before the pandemic and then just after it starts because it goes very, very fast. Yeah. Um, and it follows these two brothers, Jeevan and Frank and Kirsten, who is a young actress. She's eight. And Jeevan was at a play where a famous actor was playing King Lear and he had a heart attack on stage. And then because the show ended early and it was also, it dovetailed with the rise of the pandemic and the pandemic is a flu like disease and it kills 99% of people. And it, um, the, uh, the, sp- what's the, what's the word for when it spreads to other people? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but it spreads like within... T- infects. Inf- yeah, it infects people like really fast. <laughs> and also if you get yes. it, you're probably dead within 24 hours. So it's like the world falls apart in like a week, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeevan's outside the show and Kirsten, Kirsten's handler is nowhere to be found and her parents aren't answering. So he ends up sort of trying to take her home and then sort of adopting her. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, because her parents die Yeah, in the pandemic. So it follows the three of them. And there are some extra flashbacks to this famous actor, Arthur Leander, and his he has a few wives. So that's pre-pandemic. And then 20 years post-pandemic, they're sort of rebuilding the world. And it follows a grown-up Kirsten, who's played by Mackenzie Davis. And she's in a traveling symphony who also does Shakespeare plays. And uh, yeah, I don't, there's not like a lot to the plot exactly, mm-hmm. but there is at the same time. <laughs> it's very character driven mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of about grief and loss and found families. So I think that is part of what links it to Hawkeye is this idea of found families and, and bonds that are, you know, paternal that are not necessarily blood relation and um, people mentoring other people. I really enjoy Sarah played by Laurie Petty, Mm -hmm. who's like the composer of the 
a traveling symphony. She's she's always fun in everything she's in, but yeah. she's extremely eccentric in this without being insane like she was in Orange is the New Black. <laughs> but she's not as normal as she was in A League of Their Own. Anyway, she's kind of in between <laughs> those two extremes. But I, I enjoy her a lot. And the grown-up Kirsten is really interesting. And the, the relationship between young Kirsten and these two brothers is really kind of sweet and sad. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a kind of pandemic that's much more similar to The Stand than it is the COVID, you know, so it's, we can distance ourselves a little bit from that. A little and that bit. It's not, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> not to linger on the pandemic <laughs> part of it too much. But it's really interesting that this idea of traveling artistry would be so valued by survivors and they kind of go around like this closed circuit of places sort of near Chicago and travel around to small like communes and entertain them. Mm-hmm. And every season is a different play that they focus on. So they're doing Hamlet early in the season. And Kirsten is actually playing Hamlet, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that both Hamlet and King Lear, the plays that we initially see her perform in, both have a lot of things to do with parental neglect or disappointment. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. It's very beautifully shot. I love to say that. (laughs) And a lot of it is very quiet and contemplative. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Other observations that you have that you... Yeah, there are a few things I want to mention. One is it's called Station Eleven because there is a comic book floating around. And it was written by Miranda, who is Arthur's first wife. And... Miranda gives it to Arthur, who gives it to Kirsten, and she grows up. She, it's like her one possession throughout the pandemic. And she thinks there's, she has the only copy in the world, but there is one more copy out there that gets in the, into the hands of someone else. And it, it becomes sort of a plot device, but um, I thought it was very interesting because the comic book is about, I think, someone on a, a space station or something. And in a very similar situation, looking down on an apocalyptic world and uh, like putting this group of undersea children together and stuff like that. But I think it's very fitting that, like you said, the things that are getting people through the pandemic are art. So the plays and music, they do symphonies as well. And then this weird comic book. So I think those were those were kind of important. And I had one more thought, but I have forgotten it, so. (laughs) (laughs) I know you you read the book also, but do you recommend the book or do you recommend the miniseries or both? Okay, here's the thing. I I personally do not recommend the book. Okay. However, if you look on Goodreads, like, all of my friends have given it five stars. So... (laughs) 90% 90% of the people out there would recommend the book. Okay. <laughs> so take take from that what you will. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I appreciate the miniseries a little bit more. I think I like the structure better. The structure was the other thing I was going to talk about. Oh, okay. Because it, it does kind of go back and forth a little bit. And I like that some episodes focus on almost a single person and their experience, like Miranda's experience right when the pandemic is unfolding and different things like that. So it allows you more time to get to know the characters. So I like the structure better in 
the miniseries, although it's not too different than the book. I think I'm rambling now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I didn't quite connect with the writing style in the book. Oh. So because it's so character driven, I still felt like there was this layer that I couldn't get past. But with the miniseries, it's a little bit easier for me to connect to the characters. So for that reason, I would recommend the series. And I think it does a little bit better job of tying certain things together, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then I will probably not bother with the book. I mean, I'm... you'll probably love it. Who knows? No, no. I'm, I, I think mean... I'm in the minority with that one. No. Well, you know, it's funny that I – certain post-apocalyptic novels I really like. Some I have struggled with. If they are more literary, I feel like sometimes they they do things that I just find a little twee. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Yeah. Just, then you yeah. might not like so, it. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Okay. Like I didn't love – I didn't love The Road. Yeah. And I think that that does some twee weird things. So anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. So of the two, I would definitely recommend Hawkeye more because it's a lot more fun for me. It It is a lot more fun. Yes. But if you also want something that is quiet and I don't know, like sweet, but sad, like piquant or pensive, then I think Station Eleven is still worthwhile. But next week, we're both going to be talking about our reading and writing goals for the new year. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me at Carrie Gessner. And you can find the show on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. You can email us at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. You can also find the show's website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And from there, you can find the link to the merch store. And please, if you're enjoying the show, rate us and review us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs> <laughs>